Hey everyone, welcome to the Outlaw Book Chats. Today I have Yasuk. He is a Melbourne-based design technology specialist, registered architect with almost a decade of professional experience. He works on computational design, uh, building envelope development involving an A to Z coordination process and documentation. He graduated from the Ponzen University of Technology, Poland, and gained initial experience in Barcelona, Beirut, and Shanghai. He previously worked at a Smart Melbourne office, and currently works at Cox Architecture, leading significant and large-scale projects. He's also developing a design portfolio management portfolio platform called TuneUp.org, aiming to help clients find the right designers through the contents of their work. Uh, without further ado, let's say hi to Yasut. Hi. How are you? Hi, everyone. Hi, Gabriel. Um, so today is the first time we ever meeting each other. Um, it's quite um, interesting to, to talk to many different architects around the world, and I'm quite excited to talk to him today. So today we're talking about a few different topics. Firstly, we'll be talking about his experiences and his journey in architecture. Secondly, be he's currently involved in a lot of projects in Melbourne. So he'll be sharing a little bit about that. And then after that, we'll be talking about design portfolios. Um, especially for those graduates and maybe mid-career architects who are considering to change careers, and how his platform called TuneUp is trying to solve the problem of transparency and also making uh, opportunities more widely available and to connect, you know, from uh, from connect portfolios to the right companies for hiring. Yeah. So maybe you just start a little bit with your own journey. Yeah. So how 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 do we where do you get how do you start how do you start and maybe where you are right now. Uh, again, thank you for inviting me, Gabriel. Um, it's, it's great to share my story. I'm happy to do that. Um, well, I come from Poland, uh, Eastern Europe. Europe, uh, it's uh, part of European Union. So it was really great to, to study there um, because together with my group of friends, we could travel and, and see many different cities and countries. Uh, and, and as architectural students, we could see how cities are shaped, created, uh, focusing on some beautiful spaces uh, or maybe the ones that were not so beautiful and we could uh, also uh, learn from that. Um, so I think, yeah, with internships, international internships uh, and traveling, I think this, this journey and, and discovery was uh, with me since the beginning. Uh, and um, I literally um, finished my master's and uh, defended my thesis in 2013, early September. And a couple of weeks later, I had a plane to, uh, to Shanghai, to China, uh, to just, you know, continue uh, learning and discovering my architectural um, skills and passion further. And why did I go to China? Why did I arrange that? Because, um, you know, when I started uh, university and studies. It was 2008, a uh, great financial crisis. Um, and, and actually all this, all this GFC was happening during the studies. And as you know, the architectural industry thrives in, in the, let's say, the, the economic upturn, you know, and when the good times, uh, the clients have a lot of money, they want to uh, create beautiful, great developments. And then a great financial crisis, everything was slowing down in Europe. And there was not much work or exciting work, especially. Um, and while China or Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, uh, Guangzhou, I could you know keep naming, but these cities were booming. 
right? And I think uh, I was telling everyone uh, when I arrived and I started working on the projects there, uh, I always had this financial component in mind. I was thinking, okay, how to make it more cost efficient, how to really, you know, select uh, materials or, 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 you know, just, just design the assemblies in a way that it, it's gonna, it's gonna be just a bit cheaper. It doesn't have to be expensive how to achieve that goal. And my project leader was always saying, uh, don't worry about money, Atsik or Jack, right? Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> let's just make it, let's just make it great and, 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 you know, good for the users and the client. So, you know, First thing I'm coming there, don't think about money, just let's do something extraordinary. Uh, and that was totally surprising and something I didn't expect. Um, probably because you, you come from Singapore, right? You're based yes. in Singapore. So yep. I believe the, the mentality with your, uh, you know, Marina Bay Sand, the, the world's most expensive project. Uh, I don't know if still, but used to be, right? Like this, this mentality seems, seems to be very aligned. Uh, so you know what I'm talking about. And, um, and uh, yeah, three wonderful years passed. It was great to, to work mostly on front-end uh, projects uh, because, yeah, I think that's how, um, you know, being an expat, being an international in, in Shanghai works. You, um, you typically just work on, on creative part of architecture, this front-end, those first phases, when you provide ideas and initial design, and then it's being taken over by... Um, Know, by other companies who are providing those construction drawings or fabrication drawings, etc. Um, which means that we, in, in studios I was working, we're getting a lot of um, a lot of projects uh, for an early stage, and we had a couple of weeks to put a design package, give it to the client. Sometimes it was a government client, so you know we needed to go through different levels of of government. Uh, review and presentations, but you could submit a package for one project and while waiting for the feedback a couple of weeks, you could work on another one, right? And, and in that way, I started building uh, my own personal portfolio very fast because uh, it didn't take me, uh, you know, one or two years on one project. I was working on like 12 or 14 in one year. Um, so interest, very interesting experience. And um, after that, though, um, I really wanted to go back to the roots. So become a you know well-rounded architect, working uh, you know through the conceptual stage up to town planning, detailed de development, and tender packages and construction phase and uh, admin and and you know all all of that. So I think. Um, a, a very exciting country and always something on my bucket list was Australia. And interestingly enough, um, Shanghai or China is actually halfway from Europe. You know, this is like almost, I think it's around 10,000 kilometers and it's similar 10,000 kilometers from Shanghai to Melbourne. So uh, at the time I thought it's, it's like very far from, from you know, the, the country I, I grew up in and uh, it was actually only halfway uh, to, to be in Melbourne. And in Melbourne, I, I had a tremendous experience. I, I was lucky enough to get to uh, Smart, one of the oldest um, studios in the world. Uh, extremely uh, rewarded, uh, established, amazing people, and and you know like the top quality projects. And I think the studio is is all about you know quality and details and timelessness. 
Um, so there, it was a, a great learning curve for me, right? I came there, actually I was, I was an architect, but because you change the country, you will almost start from scratch. So, uh, and in Australia, if you're not registered, you cannot even call yourself architect. You, you are only architectural graduate, you are, uh, yeah, graduate, let's say. And, um, starting almost from scratch, uh, I was just, just, you know, learning out my way and, uh, but quickly I jumped on a couple of construction projects because of the computational design. And I, again, I learned computational design in China because I needed to, you know, react very quickly to, to clients, um, comments. You know, so in order to adjust a design and not start from scratch and not, you know, manually model up, build everything. If you had a couple of scripts that you could just change parameters and, and massage to achieve maybe a refined uh, result, uh, or also ideate, you know, and create 10 different ideas quickly, uh, grasshopper or, or, you know, parametric design in general was, was a way to go. Um, so with these skills, actually, that's how I got to Australia. And when I was working on these construction projects, uh, not, not, you know, with, with certain subtleties even, um, but, um, but it was a computational parametric design needed, um, grasshopper to, to generate the specific models and drawings for the subcontractors and consultants and everyone. Uh, it, yeah, I jumped into, you know, a very deep water, but I think I thrived in these projects. It was a members club, VRC, uh, Bait Smart or Capital Grant, uh, some skyscrapers. Um, so yeah, I think this, these were the building blocks of, of my experience. Um, also some luxury hotel in the Northern Territory. So after, after all of that, I just wanted to pursue further, uh, and, and probably dive deeper, uh, into a, a bit more, um, contemporary, uh, uh, let's say approach to architecture, uh, with, with, yeah. And. The, the solution was the Cox Architecture, which is one of the biggest studios here in Australia across five or six cities, I don't know, like hundreds of, uh, hundreds of designers, um, extremely collaborative, creative environment um, that I think uh, through pandemic time and last couple of years, because I joined March 2020, um, and this, this kind of technology driven uh, culture and mentality at Cox was uh, was only, um, you know, you know, it, it, we capitalized on that, right? Like people really um, could uh, could design and collaborate with ease. And even though we were, you know, most of us just working from from homes, uh, we, we we felt really like team. Uh, imp implementing those agile working environment and styles from IT industry, I think at least at least in uh, you know in, in, in some in some extent. Um, and yeah, at Cox, uh, I could say so much. I mean, uh, we, we work on 130 Little Collins, uh, boutique commercial tower, um, which, which has so many beautiful uh, aspects of precast GRC and, and forms that are shaping this building. Uh, or you have 308 exhibition that's, that's currently very well in construction uh, in the heart of the city. Two towers with some parametric computational aluminum cladding, sky bridge on level 45, 6, um, just, you know, 200 meters above the um, sea level, uh, which, is, you know, everything is, we're at the coast here in Melbourne. 
I just I just keep thinking RLs or AHDs, you know, which is like uh, the, this kind of uh, absolute uh, heights <laughs> because with complexity <laughs> of projects and with the topography changing, sometimes it's really hard to uh, to have a reference of a grant for or something, and and especially if you think of different projects. And um, yeah, there is also uh, another project we're doing. Uh, it's at construction in Docklands, uh, a district very modern, very new, renovated, um, um, historic, uh, with with harbor, with yachts, with uh, you know waterfronts, beautiful promenades. And this project, uh, it's called Home Docklands. It's built to rent two skyscrapers, two towers with the podium beautifully enhancing the the public space um, and, and really providing um, some human scale um, in a public realm uh, with a well-articulated portions of podium and then um, you know well-sculpted uh, elegant towers but i think the most exciting project uh, I, I think in, you know in my career and at cox was was to participate to be a member of a pretty big team uh, of of really best consultants not not only talking about architects at cox uh, or our joint venture you and studio colleagues um, but you had you know all the big names uh, of engineers uh, services structure like everything right like it was top-notch uh, team working on so-called south bank by Villa, which is a green spine project you have probably heard it's two skyscrapers kind of twisting with with vertical gardens uh, again human scale which is interesting as pregnant um yeah so last 10 years were pretty busy <laughs> Yeah, it seems like you have a lot of different experiences, uh, <laughs> firstly in countries and, and typologies, and, you know, and, and maybe branching into you know, facade design, you know, computational design. Uh, what, was there anything that, that drove you, you know, to try and explore different uh, facets of architecture, or is it just happened to be the case and then they, they gave you the task to, to do it, and then I was it a self-initiated thing? Well, I, you, you know, I think... Um... I went to architecture, um, not you know, not for money. Because if I if I wanted to make a lot of money, I would probably become you know, a, you know, somebody in finance, uh, lawyer, or or you know, uh, I don't know, like brain surgeon. Uh, so, so it was just <laughs> just this 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 kind of creative need, um, and and yeah, I think this this part of me that. Mm, wanted to combine um, ideas with also a certain technical and mathematical thinking that, that I think I always had while I was, you know, when I was a student since high school or earlier. Um, also the, the people skills, the soft skills, the communication skills, um, it, you know, just kind of a need to travel. I think architects and designers, we really, you know, even sometimes visiting those expos or biennales or, or big events and, and see what's happening around the world. Uh, I think this industry really uh, requires all of that is, is the, the full package, right? Like you, we, we need to um, know a little bit about everything. Uh, of course, you can specialize, and that's great uh, if you specialize and have some skills nobody else has. Um, but typically, architects need to be good in 
in many different things. And because the world is changing, because um, all the other um, kind of, um, how do you call it, a, a sister, uh, you know, or, or cousin industries, um, they all keep changing and evolving. I think we just we just need to keep learning all the time, like uh, like crazy. You know, read books, do courses, um, meet people, put yourself out there, uh, work on different projects. And uh, so, yeah, there's endless curiosity you need to have, or and, and in that that case, I had. So, um, I think all of that drove me to architecture, and uh, while you know practicing architecture. Uh, the moment I, I found some tools to um, to kind of connect data uh, or, or or get data to um, as parameters to to drive forms to explore design uh, possibilities or in that case with with Tunark, uh, you know create uh, design portfolios and then search create tools that allows you to search through these portfolios so to making portfolios that are driven so this kind of um, yeah data analytics uh, was was another step in stone uh, but um, that that makes things basically alive right because uh, the moment you you inject data and those parameters into your design workflows things start moving Right, they keep changing, and, and I think that's fascinating. The the movement, the motion. Look what most people do in their free time. They watch movies, they watch shows. It's because this is this is something that's a kind of motion, right? Um, you know, so I think that's fascinating. And and again, with tuning and portfolios, of course, we can talk about it later. But if you have a static PDF for portfolio or a website uh, again it's like an island right it's just something you need to make a certain number of clicks and to to maybe learn how about it or find information but if you really again inject parameters and data you make this uh, portfolio live right and maybe this portfolio actually feeds certain uh, tools and and you know algorithms that then provide the visual information to um, to other users or uh, you know searching sorting filtering tools uh, so basically yeah I think data makes um, and then use first of all generating this data quality data because that's another thing right it's so easy to just create something nowadays but same and it's I'm kind of speaking in parallel now architecture or or web development or databases but it's so easy to create something, right? Give me five minutes, you, or, or you probably take five minutes, you'll create a sketch, or you will put post something online. But it's about creating a quality contents now, right? Which uh, either you need more time, or you need a good workflow that will save you time um, and you know save your resources so you can focus on other things. And uh, then it's about extracting this data and in architecture, also working on computational generative parametric projects is um, it's it's one thing to to create a you know very well sculpted form, but then extracting this data for other consultants for the client who need you know those measurements and values in order to continue with their work, right? Because of a because of some freeform shape model tells them nothing. Right, and and they might they might actually take it and twist it their own way and change it, which you don't want. You want exactly that. So the moment you create it, but then you're able to extract it and just put it on a platter for other consultants, um, 
So, you know, input output, if you master that process, I think you're in control or, or, or fascinating things happen. You know, things start moving and, and uh, movement is life. <laughs> yeah, I think we're in the very fascinating uh, era now, right? There's technology and there's data-driven design. So I also came from a background where in school, we are actually exposed to parametric design from the very beginning. And I'm yeah. quite happy to say that, that that skill in like programming, in coding, and how it translates to geometric form, uh, form uh, finding and also computational design, it, it yeah. does help. It actually shapes the way I think also about architecture and also the practice yeah. of architecture, right? And when we codify things, we make things very clear, like there's inputs and outputs, right? So yeah. you can apply yeah. to what you're saying, like portfolio management, like, you know, it's, it's not just only one static data, right? But it's yeah. also different uh, dynamic data that can, keeps changing. You have new projects. You can actually host it on a website. So yeah. this idea of uh, technology being a, a driving force of the change in architectural practice is either a sink or swim situation where we architects have to adapt and learn because it's going to be a new, uh, maybe a complementary way of like practicing architecture. It's not only the only way to practice architecture, but it complements the way we we scope and also find correct solutions to design problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I heard about a very fascinating uh, uh, approach in one of the webinars, workshops, I think last year, uh, uh, that we might, you know, the flip the whole model. I mean, I, I don't still yet know how it's going to happen and how it's going to impact the process of creating architecture, whether it's mm. going to limit it or actually provide many more possibilities. But um, imagine instead of, um, let's say, us architects being the first ones in the process that we um, kind of, you know, get all the design briefs and, again, kind of sort of data, or we get from a design brief, sometimes 100 pages PDF full of text and some reference images, we try to make sense out of it and extract the key information, right, of that mm. brief, and then translate it with a design in a three-dimensional form, virtual form at the time, uh, we, we try to find a solution and then coordinate and work out with other consultants. So everything else, you know, the, the piping, the wiring, uh, the, the rebars, uh, reinforcement, so all those other pieces of the building looks kind of insights, right? Uh, like they work. Imagine uh, doing vice versa, right? First taking um, based on the data of the project input, you actually design um, everything, almost everything but architecture, which is all, all those, you know, insights and, and services and structure and whatnot. Of course, structure is, is also quite interesting because, uh, well, architects still probably would need to create some feasibility studies and have a, maybe a general massing, right? That then yeah. allows structure, structural engineers to, to respond to it. Because otherwise, you know, structural engineer would create a form. Um, but uh, yeah, like you, you get all those inputs and then you know kind of, okay, it's going to work, right? Based on number of users of that building, based on the program, uh, based on, uh, you know, ESD, many, many things, right? This is supposed to work. Let's say, you know, 80% of coordination done. And then architect comes in. And seeing, you know, okay, so now I need to design beautiful interior spaces. I need to design a beautiful skin, the facades of the building. Okay, so, uh, but I know if I kind of 
respect the certain constraints also driven now by services and structure uh, you know so in certain way this might be more efficient approach uh, and, and definitely interesting one i would like to take uh, part in um, but yeah i mean it's uh, in, you know so many places around the world this this process it's, it's probably almost too early um, but it's worth exploring right and then maybe that's gonna be the way we design things in 20 30 years who knows uh, maybe that's gonna be a standard and and this conversation will be just one of the chronicles <laughs> but yeah it's, it's a uh, very hotly debated topic right the role of architect is going to change in the next five to ten years maybe even in 20 yeah. years and the there's two schools of thoughts i mean from what i'm talking i've been talking to a lot of like uh, architects like yourself and also through the podcast episodes, right? Their views are also quite varied. Some of them feel that there's going to be a diversification of the role of architect. So it means like it's broken mm-hmm. up to many different facets, like a facade designer, like a combination designer. Yeah. It's very, very broken up. And the architect mm-hmm. is just there to, you know, coordinate, to be the grand orchestra guy, you know, conducting yeah. the, the performance, yeah. making sure that everybody mm-hmm. does their work on time and, you know, on the same page, aligned into the same goal and vision, and making yeah. sure that the design is meets the grief right and yeah. the other way is like you know it's it's gonna be some people think it's like a crisis right it's gonna be are we gonna reclaim all of these roles you know and be a be a master of none but maybe yeah. good knowing different parts of the, the job but yeah. may not be the master of everything uh, he has to be yeah. familiar yeah. with all the different aspects so, so that that is the the two Again, the two I, sides. Yeah, I I think um, no, I think you're right, and I think it. it uh, well, first of all, it's I always love this um, metaphor of an orchestra, right? Because but at the end, the architect is still a composer, right? He yeah. writes the lyrics, and and he has a vision of what this music should be, and and everyone at the orchestra just helps him to to achieve that and wow the audience. Um, so you know this this certain vision and. And, and design ideas well, should still be, you know, it's, that's architect's job. Uh, and um, maybe it's going to be help. He will get a help from AI generated, you know, images and, and all of that. Who knows? But that's the, that's the one job of an architect. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's, it's about the scale of the project. You know, a single family house, I think an architect can still be, you know, a, a one guy orchestra. But, but yes, like for, for the buildings with uh, 7,500,000 square meters and and just, just you know, those scales and complexities, public buildings, uh, yes, I mean, there's so much speciality and, and, and uh, skill that you need for, for, um, for every single piece of that project that, uh, you know, it's, it's never a one guy, uh, you know, a dream. It, you need to actually, I think the teams that you have, a, you know, a many creative and great people and their minds align for this one goal. And I think that's where the magic happens. And and it's it's always a collaboration and, and teamwork, right? And as a matter of fact, many projects um, for, you know, 200, 300, 500 million dollars or, you know, more, uh, it's... it's uh, six eight years time right like of or more as well uh sometimes unfortunately you know town planning keeps coming back and, and so on and so forth if, if these projects are precedents uh, but with six eight years uh, typically people uh, at big teams they keep changing 
right? It's a very long time. Um, you know, look, I'm, I'm talking about almost a decade. Let's, let's imagine one, one project, uh, eight, eight, ten years, that would be one project, let's say, right? Somebody works since, since graduating. That's, that's remarkably long time. And people change, right? People like teams, they keep changing. Uh, I remember, I think, at a bit smart, uh, there was this, this VRC building and a gallery, uh, the kind of exposition about this project. And, and there was a tremendous number of people, uh, whether they spent, you know, 40 hours on it or 10,000 hours on it. Uh, but there was a tremendous number of people that took part in, in shaping that uh, award-winning building, for instance. Right? So it's, it's all about collaboration and... Um, yeah, I, I don't think architects should just uh, worry about losing uh, certain certain power because it's mm -hmm. all about adaptation and embracing the new things and uh, and maybe just utilizing it for for his uh, hers benefit, right? So I I don't worry about the future. I think um, you know we're we're going into into a better place, at least from I think we are going to you know, adapt as architects. Yeah, we're going to adapt. We, we, I, I, my own personal opinion of this is that we're going to adapt, right? We're going to know everything, try our best to learn everything as far as possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are always going to be specialist knowledge that we are not familiar. Yeah. And then we ask, we, we humble ourselves and ask, right? What, yeah. what yeah. is this about? How can this inform the design or something? Maybe how can this solve the problem? And we can get this information and we can actually internalize yeah. and synthesize the solution. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that that skill itself is not lost, and it's very valuable for architects. And, and I think that was actually ingrained through school. Like how we question the brief, we question things, we learn ourselves, we we do our own research, and that is how we will always practice architecture. Right? It's not about yeah. like for example, like in previous times we do project management, right? And and I think some of the architects, I think old school architects, right? They literally lamented the fact that we architects lose that part of that, that scope of work and then they're not in control mm. of the project anymore but some architects actually prefer not be in charge of the project and maybe focusing on things that are more important right yeah so there's yeah, always these yeah. schools of thoughts that we can actually uh, juggle and also there's not one clear path to be an architect there's many different ways you can practice and i guess yeah. that's yeah, yeah, yeah what yeah. we can only do is to encourage uh innovation and also encourage like adaptability for architects yeah, and if, if I can add something, if there's anyone from the audience who's, who's maybe uh, more a student or in a junior role, uh, you know, yeah, that there are a few exams, like a registration exam that, yes. um, well, you should, you should actually know what you're talking about and, and you speak from your knowledge and it's you against the exam or, or, or the examiners. Um, but it's always better to say, I don't know, than, than say something wrong right and and, mm. and make a make a mistake and i think uh, that that kind of also in my daily work it takes away a bit of um pressure or or uh, fear in my case because i uh, well, look there there's actually quite a few people and it's humbling to to get so many people actually ask me a question and uh, so i can help them maybe answer from from what i know but uh i i also like i always know okay if there's something i don't know there's internal team, there's there are people, the other people at the company, uh, there's a consultant team, there's so many people to ask 
question and, and to work together towards the solution. Plus the wealth of knowledge on the internet and the books, right? Like, like it's, it's about knowing what kind of question you need to ask and knowing where to search um, and not, not knowing the answer at the moment is not a problem anymore, right? Maybe, you know, 50 years ago without the internet, but not anymore. Yep, since we live in a world of information, and I think that is the advantage that we have over the old school architects. So yeah. we have to take that to our advantage, and also yeah. to and to learn as fast as possible because it's going to change for sure. Yeah. All right. Speaking so, of changes, all right. Uh, so maybe I don't change topics into your your <laughs> platform. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. So to not talk about what is it about? Who is it for? Why do we need it? Um, okay, well, it, this is this is a platform about architecture, and it's uh, for and it, it it with with the content provided by users, okay, mm-hmm. and it's for designers who want to put their work out there, uh, and for and for clients searching for designers. So yes, it is a discovery platform. It is a platform to um, to to get certain information in our architectural interior landscape architecture and all, all those kind of built environment industries um, discover the right projects the right people something that matches your criteria and why how, how to do that right because we did a research and there's many platforms out there some of them worse some of them better uh, but none of them really provides a solution to find a specific information about projects and designers uh, typically, it's it's uh, it's just two or three filters. It's two or three I don't know metadata. Even this is something that needs to be managed by by maybe a, a, a you know a central kind of or, or a platform itself, right? So well, we we thought, okay, what could we do better, right? What we could could do something that can um, basically answer the questions of the times we live in, of you know. Uh, uh, to 2020, 2022 now. Um, so we thought about a system where, okay, well, first of all, we solved the problem of, of creating your portfolio because it's costly or, or time-consuming typically, right? Typically, it's some, to keep your project's portfolio up to date is, is something, it, it's a hustle, right? Most of people don't think about it as something nice, quick, easy, uh, a pleasure, but rather a chore, something, oh my God, I, I'm going to spend a lot of time or I need money, I know Adobe licenses or something. So, okay, let's solve that problem. Let's get people to create their portfolio, design portfolio easily, quickly, um, you know, very, very like kind of cost efficiently. But at the same time, while you create those, this portfolio, you can actually do it in a, in a framework that Tunark provides. Very simple. It's like filling, filling forms, basically. But that you create a, a quality data and content, right? And now with this quality data and content and everything controlled by the users themselves, um, you, you, can create, you can get the tools for searching, filtering, sorting, getting the specific information about projects and designers uh, in a way that nobody else, uh, you know, can do 
you know, none of the big names, none of the small names. Uh, and we can obviously even, uh, and we're happy to get more feedback from the users and, and we keep actually interviewing uh, the users and, and getting more feedback and keep still shaping because it's an early days platform. So we keep st still keep improving and we answer the comments of, of the users, of the first users. Um, and we can quickly, you know, shape and scale and, and um, keep adding those criteria that uh, people just find, find most important. And um, that's what we focus on, helping the clients find designers through the contents of their work. That's it. It's pretty interesting how, uh, why, why do you start this? Was it any, anything that you wanted to, to solve or is it your own personal experience trying out or is it someone who told you about this pain point that, that you wanted to solve? Uh, okay, in terms of uh, yeah, solving, uh, I, it, it, look, it, again, it's sort of personal experiences and frustrations and observations that I have, that I had, you know, I, I worked across different continents, countries, as we mentioned early, earlier. And I noticed that, you know, all the design communities have the same problems and frustrations everywhere. Right. So we really are a global village in that regard. Whether we're talking about a small city in Europe, a big city in Asia, Singapore, Melbourne, we probably go through the similar problems, right? Mm -hmm. Because we, we both we all use similar softwares and platforms and, and um, you know the global names, the global companies, they, they create those kind of global high standards and and, and everything we yeah, in turn, in that case I think we're in a global village. Uh, and I know people are flying less nowadays, but, but we still technologically in the terms of how you um, sometimes search for new opportunities, create your brand online or, or create your portfolio, it's, it's the same story all over the world. And uh, so that was that was quite an eye opener, right? So uh, like that, it's not really a, a, a geographic problem that that different designers or architects have different problems. It's the same. You need to create a portfolio. You want to get more opportunities. Whether as a studio, you want to get more clients. As a um, as a professional, you want to get opportunity to get maybe a, a better job. Get to the company that you dream working at uh, and especially if you want to do it passively right imagine because now most of the those those job boards and, and job ad advertising it works in a way that okay they so the company wants to to get another employee another designer to, to join their team they say yeah we have a vacancy who wants to join so they do it in a passive way okay we have an offer who wants to come and all this work is again done by by designers right who seek these opportunities they apply for that and so on so now imagine if you flip the model and you let the companies uh, actually find uh, specific designers by the contents of their work so so you 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 know you you want to someone to join your team so now you think okay who shares our values right who has a similar design language speaks the similar design language or or actually has a similar experience or has experience we search for right and the, nothing can speak more for for your work than your projects right <laughs> if that's not the case um, then uh, you know then it's probably not believable right or, or that's not the true story so 
let your project speak for you, right? Like create a portfolio with key information, with the values, with, with everything important behind them and let the companies search for the things they, they are interested at. And if you are the answer, they can contact you, right? So it could work that way. And also we eliminate selection bias because finally, instead of looking for a person that might have projects that, that are okay for, you know, for you as a studio owner, and now you look for projects and if the projects tick the boxes you, that are important to you, let's see who's behind it. Right, so it's 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 much less of a, a selection bias and, and any kind of bias involved. Of course, look, Tunark is not um, the platform that still, um, and it's a, it's a problem of what's the qualitative uh, evaluation, right? Um, this is you know nobody cracked that code. What's what's the value of architecture, and and you know what's the recipe for for beauty? I mean maybe the the ancient Greek architects and and if you know some uh, uh, biomimicry designer like generally um, trying to decode the nature and the beauty of nature and uh, um, certain ratios and and proportions, right? Like this is. This is a, a rich source of information of what is beauty, but otherwise nobody, well, nobody cracked the code. So what we what we uh, focus on is this uh, quanti more quantitative factual data, right? So what's the what's the site, total area of the project, volume, number of car spaces, uh, materials, context, climate, uh, budget, uh, location, um, you know, all phases and all, all of that factual stuff right and um, it's interesting because also instead of only speaking about sustainability speaking about environmental strategies you can actually list uh, specific strategies and, and solutions and sustainability that you implement in a project and there you go right like you you have actually um, uh, something specifics it's not just hey we were in also, like if, if you find if the project is just inspired by nature, but doesn't really follow certain you know uh, rules and um, thermal acoustic insulation uh, qualities and and, and uh, certain solutions, well then the project is not sustainable, right? Um, so with all those things, which is a technological impact, social impact, and an environmental impact. And uh, th these were the approach uh, approaches uh, we wanted to to tackle to address with Tunark, and and therefore um, these are the the three criteria we wanted to solve with this idea. Yeah, so I'll be sure to link the platform URL in the show notes, and not to worry. Thank you. And I also believe in the vision of like just making it more accessible, making it easier for employers to actually get the right uh, the talent to their firm based on certain taglines or certain projects that can be easily searched for. Yep, so I fully yeah. believe in the vision and I look forward to see it grow and to be more adopted by many young graduates and designers. Yeah, and I think that's, um, that's also how we really want to start. I, th I think uh, students uh, who also, uh, you know, they, they worked on many projects and and these projects there's certain data behind them there's so much work and effort done 
right? It would be such a waste to just keep it as a, as a PDF on some hard drive, maybe get internship or some first job with that uh, instead of just, you know, sharing it with the global community uh, and, and just, you know, again, probably passively getting some clients or headhunters contact you, but, but also community, right? Because it's also about the design research that uh, you can't do a design research on, on Pinterest or Google anymore um, because, you know, speaking of thousands and gazillion of, of, of data, uh, unorganized, right? It's impossible to do an accurate and quick research. So, so solving a problem of a design research and, and you know, again, imagine that finding a house that's exactly between 1.9 and 2.2 million dollars with uh, 200 square meters and semi-detached roof or, you know, those kind of qualities, like, like being able to, to just input all these criteria, click and filter, uh, you know, save a lot of time and you know we're dealing with something super accurate. Um, because either it really answers these questions or not. There is nothing, you know, a little bit, more or less. Um, I think that's a superpower, right? And that's what we really focus on. So, so again, it's not about the, the final answer and tell you who's the, who's the right designer for you if you're a client uh, or, or who's the right designer if you want to uh, again, hire someone. Um, but if there is, you know, 100,000 of them uh, and... And you can filter out and get to 10 potential candidates in a matter of seconds, minutes, you know, that's, I think you just, you just, first of all, got yourself in a situation that you're going to have a, a well-informed decision if you proceed. Uh, you are unbiased, uh, right? And, and finally, you save so much time. Uh, you know, I think this is, uh, these are really interesting uh, values, right, that somebody somebody can get. Yep. So this is going to be interesting to see how this develops. And yeah, looking forward to it, to see it grow. Yeah, I look forward to, you know, students, juniors, seniors, studios. Uh, it's, it's, it's just so, so inclusive also in, com in comparison to a lot of competitors and some competitive similar platforms that only focus on on this kind of top end and um, and let's say architects uh, right or registered architects obviously on tunark you can you can filter registered non-registered architects of, you know in the first place so but it's more like so a global yes, platform but, right it's global but, and yeah, it's accessible. Yeah, but, but how to how to make it more inclusive how to invite everyone and 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 make it global because um you know joint ventures also collaborations right there is no platform that uh, lets you as a international designer who maybe found a client or is designing something uh, in other country with other standards with other uh, building code and laws right find this this kind of collaborative like-minded uh, company that you could do a joint venture with right so that's that's yet another um, angle that uh, it's, it's not just another problem we saw it's just you know just uh, it's the same recipe uh, just making your 
project portfolio data driven and informative, but that's yet, yet again a potential outcome, positive outcome that you get. You you just make a, you just um, stimulate more collabor international collaborations, which is uh, very interesting. I think that there's currently so many amazing projects globally uh, that that happen through these international collaborations, and and you have two studios or groups of designers or two designers that, that can learn from one another, uh, which is an interesting thing. Yep, so we're going to conclude the podcast a little bit now, but before that, I usually ask this question to all my guests, like uh, any advice to young designers that's just starting out? Advice to young designers? Um, I probably would say... Um, well, ex explore as as many uh, things as you possibly can early in your career, right? Uh, like, like, yeah, like try to get as many experiences as you can. Internships, do international competitions, uh, work by yourself, work with your friends, um, and test different types and, and um, different skills, courses, read books, Just just kind of you know, be super open-minded, but then um, and just just make a decision to kind of go one this this one direction, go go something specific. And I, because I think there's a benefit to 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 specialize and to really be be in a position to make this decision, right? Because if you're if you're undecided for the next 10, 15 years that you don't know what kind of architect you want to be, you don't know what kind of projects you want to work on. Um this this it's it's probably gonna waste you a lot of time and opportunities. Uh so it's it's in a way people think in, in their life, right? That uh, okay, so uh, I'm I'm joining elementary school and then I'm working myself up to those those kind of you know university and exams, and well, actually up to up to high school or college or or whatever you actually decide which specialty you take or you want to become an architect uh, or I want to become an artist or or salesman. Um, okay, so that's going to be the the last important decision, right? That I explored so many different subjects at school and I was not interested in chemistry or biology okay so i will go that way and you make this final decision but hey this is uh, this is just one step you're probably you know halfway because now in this area especially architecture is such a broad thing like gabriel mentioned a few times that there, there's so many different paths in architecture it's unbelievable um but again again making this decision and and taking the path firmly um can lead you to some amazing opportunities, right? Like some some really interesting uh, career, you know. And yeah, I, I guess that's my. Uh, yeah, it's really good <laughs> advice. advice. So yeah, so for those listening, especially if you're a fresh graduate, right? Don't be afraid to explore un unventured paths because now is the right time. There's a lot of different yeah. new technologies, new new ways of practicing architecture and there's still many ways to explore and you don't need to do the conventional path anymore and yeah mm. i'm just highly encouraged to to seek your own path and to just own it all right thank you Asuk, for the time that's wow, a great pleasure it's, oh wow it's, it's it's one hour oh, yes exactly I, <laughs> I, 
it was a well i, I mean I, I guess i like talking so, right. so yeah i was i was probably talking talking yeah but, uh, it felt to me like five minutes oh so, <laughs> yeah i'm sure we'll chat soon next time <laughs> <great interview. laughs> all right your, thank you so much for your time questions thank you gabriel and, and and you know continue also you have a very this is really great archaeologue book and and your podcasts are, are really great uh, i think source of inspiration and, and information and uh, keep doing what you're doing you're you're doing a great job and and thanks for for that uh, on behalf right. of design community <laughs> all right thank you so much take care thank you gabriel have a good night Bye. see you